Hello, you're listening to The Consequential Podcast, where today we'll be talking about Halloween. They tell me it's spoopy. The things making those noises are Lucy Boys and Roger Hart. Say hello. Good evening. I'm Dave Convery. And Lucy, what have you been reading? I've been reading all kinds of crap, Dave. I have. Wow, I think that's the closest we've ever come to being like morning TV anchors. I was just trying to sass you. Okay. We've been reading the shit out of stuff. Yeah, I I read comics instead of whatever it is I normally do with my brain at other times. Okay. Which um, ones you read, like, all did of you Carroll. Yeah, I did read all of Emily Carroll. It was fucking great. Are you okay? It was fucking great. Um, I'm going to save that for the the main bit because I think that's probably, that fits probably where it fits. Yeah. Um, the juicy meat for our talk sandwich. But let's not talk about that now. Let's talk about the comics what Lucy done read. The comics what I done read with my eyes and also brain. Yes. My hands were sometimes involved. Yes. For the turning and the scrolling. Tell us. (laughs) Um, I read The City by James Herbert, who is not the same as James Herriot. Okay. Because I thought this was maybe written by the guy who was a vet. But it's not. It's a post-apocalyptic nightmare. The horror and the action writer. Yes. It's that guy. Okay. So, also um, quite a famous author. Just not a vet dude. Didn't he? Yeah. Didn't he June? Hmm? That was... Frank Herbert. Frank Herbert. Oh, for fuck's sake, Herbert. And James's. <laughs> it's... So it's a comic set in a post-apocalyptic society where um, there's lots of rats and mutants. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason the reason that I read this is because it... When my partner was younger, he used to go to the library and hunting. Is this adaptation from the nineties, by any chance? Nineteen ninety-three. Is it someone strolling across a wasteland? Yes. I read this when I was a kid. Well, so did Dace. He, the people who ran the children's comic section at Huntingdon Public Library, thought that everything that was a comic was appropriate for children. No. Oh, loads of libraries do that. It's brilliant. Yes. Not the case. Now, he read this as a sort of very impressionable age, sort of five, six, seven, and it's about a man going back into a ruined city filled with horrible mutants and rats and things that are trying to kill him, and he's got some robot dogs, and he goes to his house and finds that his child is a skeleton with pigtails, and his wife has a rat baby and has gone insane, and... Insane with a rat baby? Yeah. I don't like that. No. No, it's horrifying, and the fact that he was like six when he read it is even more horrifying in many ways it explains the man he is today. It's Ian Miller who did the adaptation. It is Ian Miller it? indeed who did the the artwork. I'm not wild about the rat baby. It's um no, uh, there's this it's the sort of pencil and heavy ink style that if you were into Warhammer as a kid will be very <laughs> very familiar. Um, oh, yeah, so that basically all looks like the art from the Skaven army book. That sort of thing. It's, it's, it also reminded me to some extent of the very early Sandman. It's got that scratchy kind of 90s thing mm. going on, which I'm not... I mean, I'm not normally a huge fan of, but given that this was meant to be a sort of immensely dense junk and mutant and, like, all sorts mm. of shit-piled city, it kind of worked, because it didn't matter if I couldn't fucking tell what anything was. It was just piles and piles of garbage. Yeah. You also have very, 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 very sharp contrast between the horrible organic piles of stuff because mm. even the technology looks like looks organic it's very insectile yes um, and then these incredibly sharp panel borders at all sorts mm-hmm. of strange angles it doesn't 
it sort of looks looks very much of its time, but it, there's a sort of very deliberate and very jarring choice about how the pages are laid out. Lurid coloration as well. It's meant to make you feel kind of queasy being in there, yeah. and it does a good job of that. Mm. Um, lots of nice little details as well. A, um, a bus station full of old buses filled with people who get on them but don't remember why, and the bus driver's just a skeleton. It's <laughs> <laughs> good. I've got the PDF if you want it. I might actually. It's very expensive now, though. It's like 100 quid if you want to buy a real copy. Shuffling hell. Which is why we've got the PDF. It's out of print. Mm. Um, so that today's children can't be traumatised. Yeah, no, it's for the past. By librarians. It's for the past. Oh, I do love a good, judiciously negligent librarian. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they're probably not trying to find horror and violence so much now that pornography is so readily available to them. True. Librarians. <laughs> well, I mean, they can get porn, porn quite easily. Probably not as easily as children, because they understand computers better than us being digital natives, mm. as it were. So, you did just say digital natives, so... You know the snake people. I, I am going to have to pull your nuts off. You're going to sound the millennial klaxon and, and just have me done in. I'm going to sound you with something. Oh, God, we've gotten a sounding already. We've been going, what? Seven minutes. Would you recommend the city? I would to recommend the city to impressionable youth if it's going to make him turn out all weird and fucked up because them some good people. Right. Um, it. I don't know. The writing. It's a collaboration between an illustrator and an author. It's. It does not always entirely work as comics. Some of the flow is not quite there. Some of the writing could be a little bit tighter for what it is. But overall, it's extremely powerful in the impression that it leaves. Um, it's quite quick as well. Yeah. So if you like a post-apocalyptic romp, then... There's not a ton of dialogue in it. Well, no, not many people to talk to, because no. they're all fucking insane or mutants or both, or rat people, or they're going to fuck you up and you've got to put your robot dog to good work murdering them. There's a little guy with a pointy cap who's an ally of the chap who's gone back into the city and at one point he just bends down and kind of stabs a rat with his hat that's not going to be good for your back long term no it's true it's not a viable sort of long term rat stabbing solution but it was very effective okay in the one time that he did it okay what else have you been um i read all of the fox sister which is a webcomic by christina strain and Jade I Cassie? Maybe. Maybe. Not sure. Sorry. Yeah. I don't know how there's normal out in there. I don't know how to deal with yeah, it. Yeah, it's, fr- it's I believe the umlaut is French, but I don't know what to do with French umlauts anyway. Sorry, no, Jade. I didn't, I didn't know there were French umlauts. Oh, there are. Oh, shit. I've just not been paying attention. It's probably an Alsace thing. I've, I've missed Germanic motherfuckers. I missed a fucking umlaut memo. Yeah. Yeah, there's a few, not many. Usually on the eye. Um, I don't know what they use it to do. Anyway, The Fox Sister is um, set in uh, South Korea in the 1960s. It is the story of a girl who's kind of a sort of early 20s and she's some sort of traditional Korean shaman. Um, She's got a cute little dog and she makes friends with um, a guy who's basically an ex-army missionary from America. He's Methodist and he's working at the local church. And there's lots of stuff about Korean mythology, Christianity in Korea. Mm. The art's really nice. It's kind of... It's really nice. Disney faces with a slightly more 
matte slash watercolour coloring mm. profile. It's it's really good. Um, Have you ever read anything by uh, Shisaku Endo? I don't think so. Japanese novelist, but um, covered a lot of the so early early twentieth century, not quite modernist, but like late modernist, mm-hmm. first half twentieth century, covered a lot of stuff um, to do with um, early Japanese Catholicism. Mm. Some really interesting bits and bobs. That does sound interesting. No, I think the whole sort of well colonial intersection of Western religion and Eastern culture is mm. kind of interesting, but often clumsily applied. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, no, I'd, I'd really recommend it. I enjoyed it a great deal. It's um, very, very pacey, very easy to read, um, pleasant. I found myself invested in the characters, and when I got to the end, I didn't want it to be the end, which is always good with a continuously updating webcomic. Visual style? Um, manga Jason. Manga Disney. Okay. Uh, pretty people. Mm. And clean lines. I'm picturing something that looks a bit like Check Please but with a darker palette. Um, a little bit more washed out than that, and a little bit less cartoony. Okay. I'd say. Um, no, very good. Go and read it. It's great. It's all on the internet. I did. Oh, good. I read part of it. I read as much as I had time. A lot of reading for this one. The dogs are really cute as well. Mm. Cute dog. Like a good dog. Mm. Cute dog. Evil mm. fox. Yeah. Who's also the, the protagonist's sister, who's been possessed by a demon. That'll happen. Yeah. Mm. That's why she needs her Korean shamanism. Mm. Keep away the nine-tailed fox. A lot of knives involved in the shamanism. Jolly good. Mm. And, um, like, I guess wards, kind of mm. symbols and shit that you paste up. Okay. Place to... mm. I liked how cranky she was about it. People were sort of... Um, going to get blessings from her as a sort of light-hearted thing, mm. borderline engaging with their culture, whereas it's, you know, keeping her alive. Yeah. And she's... She's very uptight in it. general. Yeah. Sort of picturing a kind of um, older generation country vicar who's getting on with it but is really fucked off that no one really cares. Like that, but she's like 22 in Korean. Mm. Fair. Yeah. So you've also been getting on with uh, a lot of Sophie Campbell's work. Oh god, yes I have. This was my most delightful discovery of maybe the last like several years of my life. This is... Every time I look around and think, fuck, I've read all of the comics that look like the kind of thing that I want to read, and then just sort of go away for a little while. Yeah, I've been missing this one somehow. We've almost... This is something I spotted a few weeks ago when Comics Alliance did a, an article on it. And mm, just went, yeah. This seems like something one of us should have read at the very least. This is It is exactly my thing. I mean, I started reading the first volume of six yesterday and finished the sixth of six at lunchtime today, and I had to do my job in between, so... Shit, it now. Yeah. That's, that's quite impressive. Yeah. So, this is Sophie Campbell, who is doing a little bit in mainstream comics at the moment, I think. Yeah. Um, but this is her own... Uh, Gem and the Holograms. She's ah. currently doing a runoff for IDW. Is that the thing I think it is? Yes. It's an adaptation of the cartoon from the 80s, yeah. That had the little action figures that yeah. Yeah. that were really, really naff, but everyone coveted because holograms were, like, super sexy in the 80s. Uh, Transformers had holograms on them as well, so... Let's know. Mm. Yeah. I wasn't. You could have to have Transformers twice. Just get holograms also, on, like, a bit of card or something, or, like, mm. a ruler. Well, they were everywhere for a while. Yeah. Oh, I was there. Mm. 
Maybe the second hologram craze, I don't know, mine was in the 90s. Oh, yeah, no. Um, uh, kids were just ripping off everything we did back in 1984. Mm. No, so she's doing um, Gem on the Holograms, and she's also doing a webcomic called Shadow Eyes, which I also mm. read um, about a, um, I guess, a crime fighter in a dystopian future city um, with lots of sort of... I guess interesting gender and social notes alongside. It's good. Um, it's good, but I'd probably read Wet Moon first. Yeah, which has been running since two thousand and nine, so it's genuinely embarrassing that none of us spotted it. Wet Moon. Yeah. I think first one was two thousand and two, wasn't it? Was it? It's quite. A, it's quite. She's old. been the credit doing on, it for a really long the time. The credit on the trade paperback, at least, I think, is two thousand and nine. Hmm. Oh no, 2004 first edition, bloody hell. Mm, it's been going for a really long time, and apparently she's got eight books plotted out total, but seven's really taken a long time, so right. we're, we're at six at the moment. And, which is a shame, because four, five, and six are all immense cliffhangers. Would you like to give us a little kind of... It's a pricey. Something to uh, yeah, tantalise? Okay. So, um, Wet Moon is a swampy Florida town, it's a southern gothic style. There's a huge goth and to some extent fetish scene and this is totally normative in the town it's that's the kind of coveted look every all the characters sort of the more extreme the better so there's one particular character fern who turns up at a party with a ball gag and tiny um sort of leather pants and that's she's the one that has it. the lace-up piercings on her lace-up piercings on her back and she's the coolest person in the room because she's mysterious and wearing a load of extremely revealing fetish gear. I loved how that was kind of the high school motif, sort of cool line. Yeah, they're not the weird kids, they're mm. the kids, and, and mm. that's great. Um, it's a, you know, so this stuff's kind of woven into the fabric of the town, all the place names are a little bit dark. You've got a club called House of Usher, coffee places called Burial Grounds, mm. just little, little touches like that. Um... Fuck, it's really, really good. Southern Gothic is a massive pun, isn't it? Essentially. Yeah. Um, it's mostly centred around the lives of a group of young women um, who have a collection of offbeat names. You've got Cleopatra, Trilby, there's Malady, Fall. I thought Malady was a bit on the nose, but then they all sort of are. And yeah, I, think, I feel like it works in the mm. context, though. And the character designs are great. Yes. I mean, so something, I was reading um, reading an interview with uh, Sophie Campbell, the creator, actually about Gem and the Holograms, talking about her sort of approach to drawing body type. Yeah, because she really changed them from uh, the cartoon where they were just stick people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she's, it's a very diverse range of body types throughout Wet Moon as well. And when I say diverse, I don't just mean range of sizes, range of skin tone. There's also sort of, there's multiple people with sort of amputations or congenital deformities and that's all kind of just seamlessly worked in. Now, what she said about body type and gem, gem and the holograms was um, that it's, it's not an agenda but I'd be doing this even if I didn't care about how it affected people. It feels natural and believable. It's fun to draw. I can't really think of doing it any other way which is great. Mm. You know. So, so this, is, this kind of ties into one of my favourite things about about Wet Moon, in that there's a great sense of kind of female community, there's a lot of diversity of 
expression of um, sexual orientation, again with the body types, and lots of social justice, but it's not at all heavy-handed and never feels like an issues comic. Mm. Nothing about it feels like an affectation unless it's supposed to. It's all very... It's handled so naturally. That, that, that's the thing that's impressed me the most, I think, actually, just how totally immersive and coherent this world is because nothing about it feels like... It, it never really breaks the fourth wall. Yeah, so the thing... Which a lot of issues things do. The thing that felt the most insincere or posed, or I don't know how you want to frame it, in the first volume, I've only read the first volume, for me, was when she goes home and meets her sister and has this kind of almost lazily written archetype of sibling rivalry fight about some shoes. Mm-hmm. And whilst that was kind of emotionally to the point, I guess, it, that rather than any of the body image or identity stuff or sexual orientation or Eberron being a little bit gothic or mm-hmm. whatever, um, all of that just completely seamless fit into the background, as did the creepy stuff. Mm. The sort of... So Bubbling sort of swamps. About Giant pig monsters are yeah, mentioned, well, they're, but they're being don't happen. Yeah, kind of relatively high level of ambient sort of vagrancy or there's an undetonated warhead off the coast apparently. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, all all of that just clips together, and the slightly teen Saturday morning show fight with her sister was was just that was the bit that stood out to me as insincere. Interesting. I think there's something I noticed across the course of the series. The in the first book in particular, there's quite a lot of sort of hostility in the interactions between the women, mm. even in sort of friendships, sisters, yes. kind of strong social ties. They're, they snipe at each other a lot. And that's the thing that I don't think it, it doesn't seem to continue quite as much. They, they find their voices and they're kinder to each other over the course of the series, which is good, which I, I kind of thought it made it interesting. It made me think a little bit, in quite a lot of ways, actually, um, of Black Hole. Mm. The teen hostility, some weird, creepy shits happening, even with some of the light and dark work, art-wise. It's a lot less clean, visually. It really jumps around, actually. So, like, you'll see some panels have absolutely no colouring whatsoever. Mm. So, like, the page I've got open here, for example, some of them are just sort of very, very light, and then some of them are full, mm-hmm. uh, fully inked. Most mm-hmm. of them are just digital colouring, but when something's really close up or needs to be grubby, then it just leaps into this sort of pen and ink. And the level it's of background jarring, but I like it. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, that's... I, so, sort of... Well, she messes around with style for flashbacks, so instead, yeah. of, the, mm. um, instead of the gutters being white, black, they turn to white, yeah. or um, get sketchy or done in pencil for various flashbacks... There's also, I mean, I think the, vis- like the visual design is really strong. There's lots of use of darkness and dark space. And given that I was sort of scrolling it as a PDF, long stretches of black in between panels, this kind of visual ellipsis worked mm. really well. And just, there are some stunning panel movements. So the things, the, the two pages where you just flip through where Fern enters the fetish club. Mm-hmm. That kind of, it holds visual attention on her and her movement it doesn't feel exploity. I mean, we are we're mm. sort of watching we're watching Cleo watch her. Yeah. Um, and then it snaps back to Cleo's face, which is just this beautiful expression of what am I thinking? What am I feeling? Mm-hmm. And oh, it's it's got a really good movement of attention. Yeah. And in there's there's a lot of um, a lot of nudity, a lot of female nudity, a lot of bodies. There's 
a sort of a trend of the characters inspecting their own mm. bodies in a way that feels very sort of you're in there with them you're not watching them do it you're you're in the head you're not in the bathroom mm. yeah and it takes thing. a lot of time to explore that sort of thing as mm-hmm. well it's not just like one panel of someone looking at something and going, oh, I don't like this. They, they, it really dwells on that. Multiple pages. Yeah. yeah. I didn't feel voyeuristic looking at it. I, I mean, it, partly it helps that I recognise some of it as behaviour, but mm-hmm. it's sort of similar a bit to um, Lighter Than My Shadow, mm-hmm. but a bit less on the nose, I guess. Well, it's never, it's never called out as a sort of explicit theme, apart from very occasionally when the characters sort of talk to each other about their appearance. Mm-hmm. It's more of a kind of here's everybody's own personal monologue done side by side. And actually, um, Campbell does that a couple of times throughout the various volumes, just taking three or four pages mm. to take you through six panels of a character hanging out with themselves in the bathroom or or in the bedroom or whatever. And it's, it's really nice. The, there are so many beautiful bodies in there mm. as a sort of a particular study of the female form. Yeah. It's, it's getting all hot and uncomfortable. Mm. No, there's some great stuff. I enjoy the um, I enjoy the fact as well. It, it, it's a tiny detail, but one of the characters goes in for a fair bit of effectively body shaming, basically fat shaming, and that's the single biggest thing used to telegraph her being a bit of a dick. Mm. Also, um, someone gets punched in the boobs. Mm. Yes, yes, they do. By the same character. Mm. So one of the um, one of the recurring themes, particularly in the first few volumes, is this um, these anonymous notes being posted around town yes. about Cleo, the main character, that say Cleo eats it. Mm. And I was really interested in the multiple meanings you could mm. have for eats it. Whether it's is it eat shit, is it eat pussy, is it die? I don't know. It's mm. got lots of is extremely it, negative connotations. Just, just but generally which one? sucks it up. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Do, do we? Does that just remain as a? Well, what's what's the least spoilery view you can give us on how that goes? It gets a little lost, actually. Other things overtake in terms of the sort of narrative structure. There are more exciting things happening. Mm. It doesn't get a lot of time later on, but it's certainly a plot device for the first, I'd say, four or five books. I was I was a little bit worried about some of the gay stuff because I, I don't. I, in hindsight, I don't think didn't think it was exploity, but I just I wasn't sure how to parse some of it. I, I wondered. Is this kind of, am I in the room with your attitude to your body or am I voyeuristically looking at you and on balance I'm in the room with your attitude to your body? But in, I'm just not used to seeing that much female nudity in my comics, basically. And my go-to thing for comics with a lot of female nudity on is to just assume that it's going to be a bunch of male gaze bollocks, which this emotionally didn't feel like, but it was a little wrong-footing to start with. It's interesting. It felt totally and absolutely natural to me in a way right. that so few representations of women in comics did. It felt like there was no dissonance. There was mm. no dissonance between my experience of the world as a woman and the way that these women were. Mm. I think in many ways, actually, it's, it's the thing with the least sort of barrier between expression and veneer of art... Okay. that I've read in a long time in that I totally got what it was trying to say and didn't feel irritated by any of the ways it might have been trying to say it in the process. And that's actually really rare, I realised. So much of the time, there was no affectation, even though it could have been seen as massively affected, and there was so little artifice. It did what it did so extraordinarily well that I was totally compelled and not at all frustrated, and that was lovely and a rare experience. Its entire world is massively affected, but it normalises it completely to the point where you just 
get down. You go with along it. with it. You've yeah. got well, you've got no choice. This is I think this is the kind of book where you can either go along with it or you can nope the fuck out. You can't read it whilst it slightly irritates you. Mm. You just wouldn't get any mileage out of that. It's probably not going to be for everyone, but I think it could I be really good for a I, lot of people. I needed a warm up, so I didn't I didn't nope out, but initially I was kind of like mm, and then by the end I was kind of oh, it took, I need took the next me a while. It did, it did take me a while. I've actually sort of warmed to it a bit just with you two enthusing about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think sort of early 20s, late teens, self-interest is sort of not something I'm hugely interested in plots anymore, mm-hmm. which is not something you can really do when that's what you're addressing. Um, but I think just actually reading all of Scott Pilgrim just wiped me out for that. Um, Which is a shame because this is so much oh, better than no, Scott Pilgrim. Better. Well, I used to go to a lot of house parties with people I think of as well, to, to, as a useful simplification, evil Laurie Penny, um, and I, th- that kind of the the quite self-involved, rich with the identity politics, twenty-something oddballs. I kind of burnt out on the real-life versions for a while, but this was like this was like here's take a look at what you could have won. I wanted to hang out with these guys. Yeah. I, yeah, I have limited interest in real 18-year-olds, but mm. these 18-year-olds are great. So that's Wet Moon. You uh, have issues of commerce to address. Yes, I think if you are interested in it, you should go and buy it from Comixology, because you can get the PDFs ludicrously cheap. They're like two ninety-five each, whereas Amazon is selling them for about a tenner or more a pop for the trade paperbacks. So. Which is brilliant, because they're the same company. Fucking hell, you guys. You did a capitalism, yay! Free markets. Yeah. Um, indeed. Hart. Hello. Apart from Web Moon, what have you been reading? So I've um, I've been looking at a few things. Um, Web Moon, obviously. A couple of um, couple of small things. So I picked up um, Scotty Young's uh, "I Hate Fairyland," which is a new image number one. Um, Scotty Young on words and Jean Francois Berlier. Beaulieu. Sorry, um, France. Beaulieu, if it was here. We're really fucking with you today. We just can't pronounce your name. I don't. I don't French that great. I need a run up. Um. So, and this is. <laughs> I was being a biplane. You probably couldn't tell. So I've no, got like sure one set of arms. <laughs> Come back when you have more arms and try again. I'm afraid so. <laughs> No, this is um, it's kind of crap, I guess, in an endearing sort of a way. So, so I've read some Scotty Young stuff because he's, like, as far as I can tell, he's just really popular for doing slightly silly Marvel covers. Um, well, it's like it's, it's it's sort of that Invader Zim, big oh, big heads, big dopey gross out, I guess. Like, so it's it's that kind of. Big, chaotic childhood nonsense. It's the story of this this girl who, um, wishing herself away from her life, gets sucked into fairyland and somewhat archly, somewhat sarcastically sent on a quest by the queen of fairyland. And 30 years pass and she hasn't physically aged, but she has mentally aged. And she's a proper cranky murder bastard with a sort of Jiminy Cricket analogue in a little flying dirigible thingy and... There are all sorts of cutesy fairyland tropes. The moon is an orator, which she murders with a giant cannon, and she kills a lot of people, and there are some fungus troops that tried to har- arrest her in Slug Las Vegas, and she basically eats them all and then trips balls the rest of the comic. And it's just 
It's ridiculous chaotic nonsense and it is kind of charming and endearing and it does look like fun, but there's nothing, it's not doing anything else. All it's doing is showing you this kind of hyperkinetic, hyperviolent comedy kid chewing away through Fairyland. Like, it, it's diverting for a first issue. I'm not going to be buying any more. I, maybe it's got something else to say. Maybe it's got something else to do. But if I want me some of that, I'm going to Captara. Mm. Yeah, I, so I know he's not on art on this, um, but I sort of found his sort of really kinetic, gross-out stuff to be not for me, the sort of thing that would be great to stumble across when you're 12 or 13. Mm. And it's not like, it's not that it's particularly stupid, it's just it doesn't land for me. The idiom's great, it is funny, it's it's pretty well done. Um, but yeah, I just, I think there are better things, more interesting things in that idiom. So I don't like the sort of uh, superficially grown-up hyperviolence like Luther Strode either. It's just not really where I go to. I don't know, like, your, your mileage may vary. It, it, could be, it could be a fun thing to look at, but... Eh. I... I... I'd go for some Captara. So you also read Supergiant Battle Gecko because you're a pervert. This is... You don't even know what this is. Pornography for you. <laughs> yes, I do. You told me. Tell us about the comic. So Supergiant Battle Gecko is a... It's more of a zine than a comic um, by someone just calling themselves Nanibim, Nanibim. It's got a couple of eyes in it. It sounds vaguely... If you vaguely, were on Tumblr, you'd know. It, it's, it's kind of kawaii. Um... She, I think it's a she, uh, also does some manga-inspired or manga-style uh, comics that you can buy from an Etsy site. It's, it's one of those. So this is someone my partner ran into at the MCM Expo. And um, I'm somewhat infatuated with lizards. And, and frogs. And frogs. I do like a frog. And my um, my partner's housemate recently got a got a leopard gecko, and I went all gooey over getting to play with it because it's super cute and it's all gecko-y. And uh, yeah, so he he spotted this uh, this lady at, at MCM Expo that does comics about breeding geckos, and this is a little anthology wrap up of her kind of gecko anecdotes, I guess. It's and geckdotes. Gek and and no, I don't, I don't think we're getting um. And it's it's kind of it's interspersed with photos of these geckos with beautiful colouring. They're so cute, um, and it's just a little, little diary comic about gecko keep, gecko keeping, and it's 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 fun. Who would you recommend this to, Roger? I don't know. Do you like? Did you miss a comma there? <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, it's probably not massively going to be down with our general audience. It's 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 quite. Zany. What do you think our audience don't like geckos? Maybe not. Are you calling them gecko racists? No. It sounded like you were. It no. was an implication that could have been inferred. Sure, it's reading you could support from the text. <laughs> Fucking postmodernists. Um, I, I would recommend this to anyone who's got a mad on for zines. It's good zine. Um, anyone who's interested in lizard keeping, it's got what sounded like some good sort of anecdotal, this is what it's really like advice. Um, anyone who likes geckos. Good. Basically, you're herpetologist. It's a stir. Yeah, those guys. Really seems to see. Venn diagram. Hmm. It's charming, though. It is genuinely charming. It sounds like the sort of thing that, if like once you've committed to that idea, it's kind of got to be lovely, mm. just by default. If those neurons crash together, whatever comes out of it has got to be at least entertaining. Yeah, and the geckos are really, really cute. You've got to stop this, man. You need to get help. 
You need help. Gecko's motherfucker. Tell us about Rumble. We've already told our, our tender listeners about well, Rumble let's at, at some length. But, let's assume so, that people don't hang on my every word. I honestly have no idea what it is. Okay. So I, I took away something quite quite different to it from you. You sort of introduced it, I think because you were trying to stay non-spoilery, mm-hmm. as being about a... And the pitch is good, right? Um, there's a bar full of barflies and deadbeats, and a scarecrow god from an ancient forgotten culture wanders in and starts a fight. Which is the it's the setup, and it does continue for a little while, but it's not the full story. And what it actually is, I guess, is someone who um, <laughs> would have quite liked Mignola's mythology to be funnier, trying to get him to hurry the fuck up. Well, it's written by Guy Arcudi, who worked on BPRD yeah. for the first couple of volumes. So it's the story of a creature, entity, powerful fallen warrior from a previous de- departed civilization who ends up, for complicated and uh, complicated reasons that he's none too happy about having to possess the body of a scarecrow, in order to do quite a lot of vengeance. Okay. And this vengeance is playing playing out in kind of inner city dive bars and bar brawls. It's kind of, it's, it's tongue-in-cheek grotty in that way. This is nothing to do with the mummy that played basketball. Totally different. Okay. Totally, totally different. It's got a really great visual style. It's bright and a bit lurid, but my God, it's good at movement. Yes. It's incredibly kinetic in a in a sort of good way. It does confusingly confusingly kinetic well. Um, James Harron is the artist. I've yes. not really seen anything else of his, but he does some great stuff in this. The character, the, the sort of the design of the scarecrow creature is is pretty nifty as well, and it, it's sort of. What it gradually unfolds, you've got these two deadbeats, the guy, the barman, and his, his friend. And he, the, the, the barman dude, I can't remember his name, I can never remember characters' names from these things, is, is somewhat incredulous this is happening to him, is, is a bit resentful of it, and his friend is kind of geeking out over it because something cool has finally happened to them. So that's a fairly standard buddy slacker trope, but played out well. And the scarecrow creature guy... Um, is initially this kind of inscrutable thing of vengeance and gradually picks up a bit of personality and starts to interact with them a bit. and It, it builds up a certain bit of charm. I, I quite like the idea of the spirit of a sort of transcendentally powerful warrior grudgingly possessing an old scarecrow, getting, in, getting with the program with a bunch of bumbling slackers and actually starting to participate a bit. And it sort of turns out that there was there was an ancient war between two factions of mystical whatnot, and one of them won, and one of them lost, and he was a bureaucratic casualty, and it's all got kind of embittered and cliffhangery. The the end of the first volume feels as though it could a bit like mind management, although it could have ended there and probably got popular enough to get renewed, which means that at some point there'll be some really clumsy transitioning from a clean arc to a messy open one. Um why would you read it? I guess you'd read it because it looks great. It's incredibly kinetic. If you like a bar brawl, it's it's good bar brawl. It... I like a good rock. It's it's got that weird synthetic mythology thing that you get from Miola or maybe bits of Sandman, but faster paced and a bit less infatuated with it. Hmm, that sounds promising. No, I, I thought it was tremendous fun. I picked it up because partly because it was. Um, very cheap in, in a bundle or possibly it, it had a really good digital price and I knew we were going to talk about Halloween I thought well maybe it'll have a bit of a horror vibe fighting monsters bits and bobs and actually it was quite light it's just quite it's light-hearted it oscillates between sort of sort of comedy horror there's mm. like a 
Big Trouble in Little China feel to it. There's mystical shit going down. But um, I would say no. There's sort of it sort of oscillates between that and sort of Conan. Yeah, I like the smack talking demon guys that he. Oh, the two. Yeah, the two guys. Yeah, sort of picks a fight with and. Yeah, it's 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 fun. It's it's got this really interesting thing about um, sort of trickling through the background of it about different types of mythology. The um, American folk hero woodsman, John Bunyan. Yes. Um, so a lot of it takes place around a theme park, a, a deserted theme park dedicated to John Bunyan. Oh, spooky! Which is just primo nonsense. And Scarecrow guy, who's I can't remember his actual name. He's got a very sort of Conan-y name. Yeah. Um, just can't pass this. He can't pass the pass the idea of a commercial folklore under capitalism. Basically, mm-hmm. he's, he's he's just not equipped for mm-hmm. those bits of modernity. So the idea that this isn't a temple. The, the idea that, he, that this guy was not a real warrior, was not a revered figure, that everyone has built him up as a figure despite knowing that he is entirely fictitious or his, his legend is fictitious. You ride the log flume down and the splash consecrates you. Is that how it works? Yeah, that's how it works when it's a temple. Yeah. But I, I enjoyed that partly because I was thinking about this whole thing of different ways of processing mass market horror and the levels of abstraction it exists at from kind of its originators and, and all that jazz. But yeah, I just thought the, the idea of the, 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 his total dumbfoundment, dumbfound, being dumbfounded dumbfound- at. Dumbfound- yeah. Dumbfoundation. Oh, fuck with him. He's already fragile. Um, at the Bunyan theme park. It, it, that, that was a delight. Who'd like to know what I've been reading? Probably someone. Grudgingly, I suppose. You people really do. You do, do time me out. I mean, oh, do we? After everything you've it, done to me today. I'll take it from him, because I turned his face into a joke. I'm just an asshole. Uh, yeah, but you're, you're, just gonna, oh, you're oh, doing me down. So if, if you didn't subscribe to the newsletter and you didn't get your Roger Halloween mask, please do just ask us and we'll give it to you, because all the fun's gone out of it now. We need more people to wear them. We're not actually exclusive about anything that we do. We were for at least eight hours, but not so much anymore. Um... So I have read Space Dumplings. Yeah, You both were right. It's, it's pretty fucking great. great. For notes on that, see the last two episodes of the show. Um, so I've been reading some, some new things. They're all brand new, the things I have read. Shit. Well, sort of. So one of them's Doctor Strange. Yeah, that's not new. It's not new. I think you might have misunderstood time. But it's been rebooted. No, no, no. So well, the past comes first. So this is the new number one. I don't think there's been Doctor Strange ongoing for quite a while. Who's Doctor Strange and why? Doctor Strange is the sort of supreme mystic of the Marvel Universe. Um, he was a, a surgeon. A is very, he like Phil, but for them? Yeah. Okay. Like a very arrogant surgeon who uh, uh, had his hands mangled in a car crash and went to find a ancient mystic in Eastern somewhere in, in uh, Eastern Asia to... Uh, repair his hands but instead he was made into the Sorcerer Supreme and he has to defend the Earth from uh, Lovecraftian shit basically how does he feel about this because presumably that's not the outcome he was hoping for when he went to see that mystic well initially not great a bit nonplussed and uh, which meaning of nonplussed he wasn't happy about it okay he was fucked off but eventually he took up the mantle and was still an arrogant dick but um, 
There seems to be more of one, more so one in the new series by Jason Aaron and Chris Bacalo. Because, you know, people love Iron Man. It's another guy with a beard. Um, might as well make him into a phenomenal thumping dick. Because people enjoy that sort of thing. Um, it's quite good fun. I'm not going to be jumping in and reading tons of this, but I'll probably pick up the trade when it comes out. Um, great, great artwork. Um, with one small caveat. So Chris Bacalo has been on X-Men for quite a while. And he does these huge, motion-filled, really fluid panels, which just really fascinating, great to look at, very, very distinctive. But then faces are sort of an indistinct smear, mm. which is weird because everything else is so great and fluid. And it's just, ah, just fudge the details here. Oh, but I need to read those in order to understand. So the the story has, has uh, Doctor Strange meeting a bunch of other mystics in a bar to complain about what's going on in the state of mysticism today. Uh, and everyone tells him something is coming. This... Uh, so, this further cements my inability to view Doctor Strange through anything other than Doctor Orpheus from Avenger Brothers. Mm. Yeah, he's a bit smarter and, and a bit less. I know Orpheus is um, a spoof of Strange. Yeah, but yeah, like, yeah. That's, but that's a good line to view it through. He's still a lanky white dude throwing his hands around in weird ways because um, Steve Ditko was the original artist, and so he throws his hands around like Spider Man because Steve Ditko really likes drawing people with two fingers out apparently it's just his thing don't know why he just likes that um i thought it was great fun but not quite enough to get me reading it as a monthly monthly series how um how accessible in terms of jumping on continuity shit designed to be for new starters essentially it's in the parlance of the industry, an ideal jumping-on point. Mm. Um, it's it work as that. I can't judge that. Realistically, it's too I've, deep in it. I've read more Doctor Strange than most, and then that's not a lot. You've read some Doctor Strange. I've read some at all. Um, I think it's probably fine. There's a lot of recapping going on. They do that in some fun ways, like mm. giving him this bar full of other mystics where they go and grumble about the state of mysticism. Um, and the initial, like the the first couple of pages of this huge, dense action scene um, with him in the astral plane fighting nightmarish parasite things, mm-hmm. um, where he explains who he is, how he got there, and how much he enjoys his job, essentially. Um, I think it really does sort of lead into that and sell it well. But the whole Marvel is is in the middle of starting another new Marvel thing, so all new uh, number ones are the things that are coming out like they did a few years ago when they started Young Avengers and Hawkeye and all of those. So they're doing another round of that um, after the current big event. I thought it was fun. I hope it carries on. I like Jason Aaron when he was writing Thor. Um, he's written some other books like Scout, which are very good. As a, as a surgeon turned mystic mm. and presumably an American, Yes, surgeon turned mystic. Has he retained the um, horrifyingly complicated financial structure? So every time he saves the earth, is there just crippling medical debt? No billet insurance. Um, he, there is something about how he charges people in this. Um, I think it's on an ability to pay basis. Sliding scale. Yeah, he's mm, kind, of, kind of a socialist mystic. Mm, um, my kind. Yeah. Um, but actually it's quite dark because there's a sort of it sort of explains how he deals with one thing by just 
uh, taking an unpleasant thing that's attacking a child and uh, directing it to a uh, towards a bunch of paedophiles instead. Um, so he's not a good dude. Fast and loose with the ethics. Yeah, he's he's good in some senses, but he's not necessarily a good person. Hmm. Well, that's okay. Neither are we. Yeah, true. Also, in number one uh, news, which I mean, things that have a new issue, not peeing. You did just go for a tinkle. I did, yes. They don't need to know that. Adequate. Keep talking. Didn't burn too much? Why would it? Your diseases. I don't have any diseases. Your pee-pee diseases. I don't have any diseases. Yeah, sure do. I I don't. I don't have any diseases. I've got a very long Q-tip here that says you're wrong. Unless there's like a disease that gives you a rumbly throat, but I'm pretty sure that's... uh, that's either the fact that I have a permanent cold or I'm just doing a spot for the old vocal fry. It's life itself. I read The Twilight Children. How was The Twilight Children? It was good. good. It's by Gilbert Hernandez, um, who is... Of being a Hernandez fan. Of being an Hernandez. He is uh, one of Lost Bros, who write Love and Rockets, amongst Indeed. other things. Uh, and Darwin Cook, who I believe I may have mentioned, I'm quite fond of his art. Ooh, um, so is your sister. She likes the DC stuff, yeah. Um, Sorry, that was a very, very. <laughs> and your sister yeah, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All I meant was that you once mentioned she was a fan of his. Yes. You remember the weirdest things. Well, yeah, I do because I'm a weird guy. Okay. <laughs> um, Twilight Children is a sort of. Spooky mystery. Spooky? Or spoopy? Probably spoopy. Even better. Um, It's set in a small fishing village somewhere in South America. Uh, And there are these orbs that rise up out of the water. And uh, no one really knows what they do, but occasionally they appear. And so the CIA are messing about disguised as a scientist and a sheriff. And uh, everyone, this little town drunk is left to guard them and... That sounds profitable. And in the first episode... Yeah, it doesn't go well, funnily enough. Um, And in the the first episode is sort of of slice-of-life drama combined with these weird things happening at the edges. Um, So it's sort of small-town goings-on with this sort of supernatural overtone of the orbs and a a bunch of children who are blinded and sort of struck dumb uh, and a mysterious woman out on the rocks with flowing blue hair... And it's very Twilight Zone-y. There's, there's a definite sort of throw towards the Twilight Zone in terms of tone, partly in the fact that it sort of feels very PG-13. You know, people are having an affair, but it's all in a very sort of nudge-nudge sort of way. And it's mostly about the aftermath and no one's having a nice time. Um, it feels like an attempt to do sort of 50s, 60s horror. And... Not much happens in the first issue, but I'm going to continue with it. Okay. I like it. And who's it? What's it on? As in the publisher. Yeah. Vertigo. Yeah. They still exist. Hey! Hey, those guys. Those yeah. guys. It's, yeah, it's Vertigo. Um, it's... it's I don't know if it, does, if it would fall under the sort of magical realism. It doesn't quite go there because there's but an attempt to explain American. everything. It is South American. So, Twilight Children, I can't really say much about it without really sort of spoiling it because this, the first issue is so slight and there's so much set up that there's not a lot more I can say other than 
it's a good one and if you like any of those people it sounds like in it. places it might be like the more outlandish bits of Uzumaki it's def- It's nowhere near as horrible it's very much um, that slightly lighter something will fix this rather than the mm-hmm. sort of unrelenting march of uh, Janjo Ito where you know nothing's getting fixed everything just gets yeah. more and more fucked that's, that's kind of his thing um, I like it. People should read it. Mm. I also liked um, Two Brothers, um, which it's is segways. by Two Brothers, who are also South American. I could have done it then. Just just lining up the potential segues. Damn. Um, Careful of that. You don't want to go off the cliff like that, dude. What? Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I enjoyed watching you process that. Sorry, I enjoyed watching you and then I paused for a really long time. It is the creepiest. This is episode. like when you told Hannah Berry that you were rubbing your hands at her earlier. I was. Yeah. In anticipation. That's for you, Hannah. Sorry, Hannah. Sorry, Hannah. We'll try and keep her under control. Bitch, please. <laughs> <laughs> So Two Brothers is a brand new graphic novel from Fabio Moon and Gabriel Barr. Them of Day Tripper. Those guys. Those guys. Their comics Shit. quite good. From Day Tripper and Casanova and other things. Their comics really quite good. They do comics good. I remember this being teased ages ago. Yeah, this is yes. an adaptation of the Milton Hatoum novel, which I haven't read, unfortunately, so I can't compare the two. But it's... Um, it's about two brothers. Mm. It really, there's no trade description problems there. Um, essentially, it's about a South American family who um, have roots in the Middle East, um, that live in Brazil. They have two young kids, both of whom are notionally in love with the same woman at different points in their lives. Um, and there's the one who is sent away to live in Lebanon for a while. And there is the one who stays and the one who stays, the mother thinks, is is perfect, despite the fact that he's a layabout. And uh, he doesn't really do anything, ever. He just drinks and uh, uh, and fucks his way around the small sort of coastal town that they live in. Mm. The other one is the sort of introvert and uh, studies and becomes a wealthy engineer down in Sao Paulo. And it's just a small sort of study of... A fucked up family where the parents can't quite tell why their kids are at war they loathe each other and and why um like they cannot see the line the sometimes sort of comically obvious line between the things that they have done like sending one of their twin children away to live in a foreign country <laughs> uh obviously giving more affection to one than the other and how they've turned out mm. and it's a sort of it's say tragic comic, but I really, I mean, it's darkly comic in the way that there's this sort of very clear juxtaposition between the way that they've treated people and how they react. Sounds a lot like my grandmother. And yeah, I did think of those parallels when uh, when when reading it. Apart from the fact that you know she lives in Lancashire rather than uh, Lincolnshire, Lincolnshire, and also she's dead. Oh, but... who cares? They're all the same up there. It's just weird meets. Yeah, pretty much. Crumbly cheeses. Yeah. yeah. Had a favourite twin. Not a kind lady. Yeah. Well, something I now know from 
uh, this comic and you know your obvious inherent failings is that that doesn't go well for anyone and that's get passed down through the ages you learn parenting skills from the comic yes I have oh that's good yeah it's pretty good I think I'm going to go yeah, adopt don't, don't, now don't, don't, mm-hmm. I'm going to take a copy with me mm-hmm. don't have shop now well I wasn't what, no, I was going to write now good. you can't anyway you've got the no. syphilis and Roger bit off your teats earlier <laughs> I mean, nothing's impossible if you have a dream. But how do you suckle them? <laughs> With one of those automated machines that they use in uh, large-scale farming operations. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you could don't, get, don't tell the get some pigs on there as well for added value. Yeah. Don't tell the social workers about that. They'll never find out. And if anyone calls the 5-0, I'll know it was one of you. We won't dob you into That's the social. We're recording your IP addresses. Do not tell the five O. <laughs> well, no, it was you. The pigs, the fuzz, the cocoa pops. <laughs> so anyway, while reading this book, I'm sorry. while reading this probably does not qualify me as a tremendous parent. It is uh, an interesting character study in the way that you don't often see in comics without much else going on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great art as you would expect from them seamless very very dark um like there's there's no intermediate shading it's all white white and dark um white and black even you know those things colors um (laughs) colors and it has that same sort of damp dissolute feeling that wet moon had a sort of Mm. somehow portraying a sort of tropical humidity and decay that there's something slimy and wrong with the whole place yeah 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 i liked it yeah no it sounds really good there's a handsome hardback right now Mm. and uh should support those guys so they fucking finish casanova don't really care yeah i'm a lot less interested in casanova than this shit so casanova i would say casanova might pay for them to do this but let's face it it's not that way around those is my comics Good comics. Thank you for your time. Who wants to talk spooky Halloween? Spooky Halloween, spooky Halloween. We'll sing it, that's fine. It's a time of year when we eat the candy. Also sometimes pumpkins. Spooky Halloween. (laughs) I used to write songs as a child, too notably. One of them was an Easter hymn. Uh-huh. Um, and the other one was about some chickens that I believe lived in a forest. <laughs> okay. Was that also a hymn? No. Okay. No, it's more of a sort of an odour. Because it would be quite hard to work Jesus into that. <laughs> a chicken sandwich. Fuck. So what we're going to do is uh, pick one each our favourite horror comics for Spooky Halloween. The Halloween spooky times. It's going to be spectacular. Who wants to go first? Nominate something. One of you. I don't, I don't want to tell you. I don't want to blow my wad too early, but I do want to talk about. Tell us about something that might be. Something well. That might be fair. Maybe Emily Carroll. Maybe Emily Carroll. That's not where I was going with this. Where are we going? You with wanna, do your thing. If you want to steer me, no, that's do your fine. thing. No, do no I've tried. I've tried taking some sort of control of this business. It hasn't really worked. That's why we do what we do. Um, no, I was actually going to bring up sort of spooky rather than scary. I guess that's probably almost your, your sort of 
your second order stuff. Not mm. quite as bad as Spoopy, but um, Gunner Creek Court does extremely well. It it it's just a bit off, isn't it? A bit eerie sometimes. A bit eerie, but it also has the sort of it has the sort of outright like Halloween style spooky stuff. There's a ghost that looks like a guy in a sheet. Mm. There's like a creepy librarian and just sort of spiders and yeah. you know those kind of tropes. But there's also some some genuinely quite scary stuff in there as well. It's kind of it's interestingly balanced, uh, but unfortunately it's descended into a teenage soap opera. <laughs> I just, I epically cannot be fucked with it. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't get into it. Fair. It wasn't the spookiness that was the problem, though. No. I like the, so the story about the boy that turns into the bird, I thought was genuinely eerie. Mm. That's quite early. Yes, that is quite early. I think there was more of that then. It's done that thing that most things that go on for any length of time with a recurring cast of characters get where it just turns into a soap opera about those characters rather than doing anything interesting with the setting, per se. And whereas actually the setting is kind of the interesting bit. Yeah. More so than the characters, perhaps. Um, you mentioned Emily Carroll. I read a lot of Emily Carroll this weekend. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, so we, well, we didn't get to that one. You want to t- tell us things? It's 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 interesting. I so I expected at some point in this reading of spooky things to feel afraid, and I didn't mm. really feel afraid. Emily Carroll was the closest I got, and I felt quite unsettled. And I think mm. a lot of that was in the way that she structures her short stories and particularly kind of uses the fact that it's web. It's not yes. quite as sort of singing, dancing as maybe the Boulay stuff, but she's she's doing shit you can't do on the page. But the stuff, yeah, like um, the tunnel sequence in His Face All Red, for mm. example, works way better on the web version than in the printed version. Yeah. Because you can just keep scrolling down as you sort of go down this mine shaft. Oh, good use of scrolling is, is, yeah. is always appreciated. Plus sort of creepy doors that you click through. Um, I can't remember which which one was it. Um, that was the one that um, looks like it has banner ads, but actually they're all part of the story. I've seen that yeah. one. So it's sort of flashing bright, colourful stuff. But only for some of it, and it's very no. At first, it's like, what the fuck is this? Are these actual ads kind of thing? Isn't my ad block blocking this shit? And then eventually, it starts sort of being there, not being there. It's 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 interesting. Um, yeah, they were they were pretty horrifying. Um, I really really liked the blend of sort of, I guess, kind of historical fairy tale settings with some very modern stuff with also this just absolutely creepy vibe. Mm. Um, have you guys read Out of Skin? Yes. No. It's... But feel free to spoil it. Uh, it's horrifying. A woman mm. who lives on her own in a house in the woods comes out and finds sort of a pit filled with a lot of the kind of grey corpses of young girls. And they, she starts hearing them outside her house at night when she's mm. asleep, sort of saying, let me in, let me in. And eventually they kind of become her house like the house is just a gaping maw of grey skin and oh. all the shit inside is made of it and all she can eat is like blood and bones and it's creepy as fuck she does, <laughs> she does nice. full on uncanny very yeah. very well um, so the, the only one sort of... I read was um, The Groom and that was again a fairly mm. classic piece of uncanny yeah there's, there's a sort of fairy tale non-logic the sort of story's quite ethereal in a lot of ways gets under your skin but never to a full-blown scare it just gently creeps you i find um yes definitely with the groom um i really also the sort of 
guess the slightly archaic phrasing of some of it. Um, the whole the fox did make his face all red. Those mm-hmm. titles, I think, work really well. Um, and that sort of it sort of echoes the early. So that's a you're familiar with it from Lovecraft, from Ashton Smith, from sort of early early twentieth century horror pulp. Takes some of those tropes. Yeah, very specific, deliberate phrasing. Um, did, have you read the whole the fox did make? No, no. I'd I, recommend that one in I've particular. Heard... I think the only, literally the only this is shameful, but the only Emily Carroll I've read is, is the Groom because I was started mm. this morning. I started in some spare time clicking through this list and then had to do some work. Mm. Um, yeah, we have we have actual jobs. It's terrifying. Mm. But they're very they're very quick and they're very creepy and they're beautifully mm. drawn and extremely well written. And if you like a sort of old timey folklore fairy tale vibe with something that's going to get under your skin a bit, I'd recommend it thoroughly. Yeah. I was super pleased because I was expecting a sort of phone it in Tim Burton candy no, candy gothic. No, it's great. Um, it's actually good. It's much deeper than that. There's um, there is a print collection which came out last year or the very end of 2013 called Through the Woods, um, which is good. But a lot of them are drawn to be digital first, and they are yeah. designed to scroll down. So, in some places, things get lost in that. Um, there have been fairly smart attempts at adapting it. But it's not the native format for a lot of mm-hmm. those stories. There are some exclusive ones in that, which are... It's good stuff. You should yeah. read it. She normally does a new one at Halloween, so mm-hmm. hopefully there will be one this year. Ooh. Talking of um, sort of Halloween-specific comics from maybe non-necessarily spooky creators, and actually not at all spooky or frightening itself, I thought Kate Beaton's most recent family comic was really, really nice about going trick-or-treating with her sisters. It's, it's, it's very upbeat. Hard, do you want to nominate something? Um, I don't know, so I've not read much horror stuff that's new. Um, You've read plenty overall. I'm just trying to think. The only only two horror comics I've read that have ever genuinely unsettled me, I'm sure I said this last time, are Uzumaki and Adam Team. Mm -hmm. Mm. And they, they would both remain my like they are they are my go-to recommendations for horror comics that will genuinely creep you out um, Uzumaki is um, Junji Ito's collection of stories around basically the idea of spirals infect, infecting a small town and it gradually becomes clear that there's some stuff from the town's past that's reaching out to corrupt it people gradually go crazy everything come, becomes more and more unglued the weirdness builds beautifully over time so that it, what it affords him is this tremendous sweep of the domestic uncanny, the distortion of, of person, kind of the psych, kind of that thing where people that you might trust or want to depend on change under you, or that the kind of that, that unsettlement stuff, and some and some body horror and some flat out mystery, kind of it get it just it builds as it goes. So it kind of it really has its cake and eats it in terms of being able to loop through lots of different horror styles, but. Mm. It's it's additive. It, it's not just throw it at the wall and see what sticks. It creeps forward. So yeah, I mean, Uzumaki is I. It remains the finest horror comic I've read, but I've not read that many horror comics. So I, I've, I've skipped through a few a few things more recently. Shadows of Salamanca is um, one of the humanoids books, and is it's probably more of a thriller, but it's got a lot of horror tropes in it and bits of it are genuinely creepy. It kind of it does some unsettlement quite well. Um, I um, I think for, in the interest of just not not just 
relapsing to things we talked about before, Uzumaki and Adam, Adam Teen, which you absolutely must, must fucking read. Um, witches. Hmm. Yes, which we've both talked about quite yeah. recently. But which is Snyder and Jock. Yeah. Um, Sorry, which is which is which. Yeah, oh dear. My apologies. Got a lot of harm off And has just wrapped up, well, not just a couple of months ago. And I'm sure there'll be more. The first the first, the first arc. Five, six issues, I think, in the in the first yeah. arc. It, it, it's it's image. It's, oh my God, it looked good. The It's heavily digital, but it rests on a bunch of ink spatter. The, the visual style kind of clutters with changing colour and builds pressure beautifully. And, and I, I, again, I, we have discussed it in detail, so I won't dwell on it, but it is this kind of attempt to build a folk horror mythos in a small town in the woods where there are these witch creatures which are something from deep time. Um, but I quite like that sort of Stephen King-esque switch from there's something in the woods to there's a really fucked up scientific explanation for this. It's still horrifying, mm. but it's there. And more than that, that uncertainty fuck up of, uh, or switch of um, everyone in the town is in on it, or enough people that yeah. the whole, there's no one you can trust. Like, you know the bumbling local policeman is going to be on it, because the bumbling local policeman is always on it. But You the, can't have folk horror without that. The, the power just have to be corrupt. Depth of just how alarmingly pervasive this is, the... I'm not explaining myself for all. Family moved to the new town in the woods to try and escape some personal tragedy. Then it turns out that these witches things exist. It This extends some tentacles through their story and turns out to be involved in their past personal tragedy and plays out as a classic family in small town horror dynamic, but with some bitterly unpleasant twists and surprises, just genuinely nasty. And it does wonderful small moments. So in the prologue, the thing with the little boy beating his mother to death with the rock... Mm, yes. That's just not it's nice. Just no. Um and but beautifully cements the mythology of, of the witches. So there's the stuff down in the burrow, but there's also the psychological horror elements. It's it's it, it's a wonderfully put together piece of of unsettling writing that not unlike Izumaki trips through a little bit of body horror, a little bit of gross out, not too much. Um the undermining your feeling of safety stuff with the community links and the fact that everyone turns out to be against them and that various their, their perception is uncertain. So that's something I respond to quite strongly in, in horror writing, um, is the the idea that you can't trust yourself. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything that sort of undermines the reliability of, of your perception or your ability to... I, I also, like, nothing, nothing freaks me out more than non-consensual medical stuff. That's just going to... It's one of the reasons I've kind of struggled with, enjoyed, but struggled with Fringe when I rewatched re- it. Just kind of... There's a lot of non-consensual medical stuff in there. Um, anything, anything that, as its premise, kind of undermines and disempowers you as a psychological entity. Um, I find I find quite invasive and quite creepy, and this doesn't rest too strongly on that, but the sort of creeping horror of the community angle of that and the invasion of family. And there's a lot wrong with it. Like, it's got some twee bits that I think are a misstep. Um, a couple of bits are a little are, are a little obvious. Some things it takes its time over. But it's, it's generally... It's been it was one of my favourite things this year. Um, the only other sort of notional horror bit I've looked at recently is some of the Coolbard Lovecraft adaptations. And 
because it's Lovecraft and to a lesser extent because it's Cobart, it's not really horror in a horrifying sense. It's more weird tales esoteric. It's a non-rotic horror. Fuck off. Yes, I I quite like the adaptations, but I think they are they're slightly earlier in Colbert's career, and I think they're more of an artist finding his feet. Well, I, all right. Here's the thing: Colbert's not the problem. No, he's chosen to work with uh, with the Lovecraft stories, and does a range of faithful to slightly interpreted versions of them. Mm. And there's only so much you can polish a turd. So, I enjoy Lovecraft with all of the usual, my god, most of these are 60 pages too long and I'm not a fucking racist caveat that you have to make. Sure, but he also just... Mm. The thing, the place where Cobard really wins with the Lovecraft adaptations is that you're not reading Lovecraft's prose except the bits that work. Mm. Yes. You get That's the storytelling fair. without the words. Yeah, you can, yeah, he can be incredibly selective with the bits of Lovecraft that he uses. Uh, consequently, I, I think a lot of the, the corpse. So the um, I've read the so Deadbeats was original. Yes, it was. It was sort of set in the Lovecraft universe. Yeah. But it was... So he did Charles Dexter Ward. He did Mountains of Madness. He did um, King in Yellow, which is not actually Lovecraft, no. and um, Dreamcast of Unknown Kadath. And he might have done another, but those are the ones. I think he did The Color Out of Space. Of the shadow at a time, one of the two. Um, read all of those; they look lovely. He's the man; the man can draw, and he. So for Kadath, which is, I think, an appalling piece of writing that he's brought a wonderful visual touch to, he gets to play quite a lot with different environments because it's a dreamscape. Gets to do some very fun things. I think the most polished of them I've read is probably the Charles Dexter Ward one. It's, it, it's a more straight story. It's a more conventional horror. Yeah. It's also one of your more favoured Lovecraft yes, stories yes, as well. Um, with, I mean, which is good because it's one of the more fun ones. Yeah. Um, he, he gets to go to town visually a bit more in Kanath and also in The King in Yellow. But, oh, if you like the idea of Lovecraft and you like people that can draw, these are going to do you well. It's um, worth mentioning as well, if people are curious in any way, that a lot of those are very cheap on Kindle. Yes. Um, so most of the Colbard Lovecraft adaptations look great and are... Well, Kridath was 70 pence when I bought it. Yeah. There's... Um, Charles Dexter Ward was like two quid. A lot of them are cheap on Sequential as well. The iPad app, if you'd rather your money went to people who are a little bit um, more ethical... A little bit non-Amazon, yeah. wouldn't it? Wouldn't the, it be nice they've to got Mountains of Madness, Dexter Ward, Charles Dexter Ward, Dream mm. Quest of Unknown Kadath. And if you're interested in the stories as well, like you, Lovecraft is basically public domain at this point. I think. It is, you can, yeah. You can, re- you can just go and read some of this shit. There's a really good, very nicely indexed one. Um, you need that shit. You, you need to, you need to jump is important. on. A lot of work has been put into making it readable as an e-book when it's about 600 pages, is what, mm. I, is what I mean. Of course, the index you actually want is, for Lovecraft is just an ordering of the stories in writing quality order. Mm. Uh, this one's uh, it's put together by Cthulhu Chick. I'll put a link in the Oh, yeah, that. I, think I, I have that. I have it's that very, very well done. It's very version. well put together. 
Have either of you guys read any Richard Sala? No. We've never really spoken about him on here, but he's um, got a very, very um, pleasant sort of Victorian-esque style. Lots and lots of long, um, long-fingered gentleman corpses, this sort of business. Ah, yes. Um, That's full-on spoopy. Full-on spoopy, yes. Um, he's great. He's got a few out. Um Lots and lots of short ones like The Hidden and In a Glass Grotesque. There's also Delphine, which is a, uh, a sort of fairy tale horror with, you know, weird tangled woods and, and everything you would expect. He's, he's, um, they're, they're sort of mostly silent for a large part. Really, really beautiful art. Um, and spoopy. Properly spoopy. It's uh, probably worth a mention of some of the young adult titles that fall into this uh, category. Yeah. Anya's Ghost. Anya's Ghost is very good. Yeah. Yeah. It's got a sassy smoking ghost and it's also actually properly scary. Actually, yeah. It starts out as sort of teen teen relationship drama with cool ghost friend and becomes like ghost friend. Proper fucking obsession is is the sort of is the the problem in there. Also in the young adult, um, Porcelain and Briar, but from improper books. Oh, well, yeah. and and Chris creepy. Yeah, they're again in the sort of liminal, sort of fairy tale, spooky fairy tale sort of area. Mm. Yes. I love those guys. Just past the cat food is the next arm along. Improper um, have just been picked up by... It is by Sequential, isn't it? So, yes. So rather than having to just wait to meet them at a show, you can now buy their stuff from Sequential, and I think they're getting a bit of a distribution deal. It's So Porcelain, the first in that series, is two ninety nine on Sequential right now. That is really good value. It's a solid book. Also in the um, young adult category, you've got Mercury by Hope Larson, which is less sort of balls out, creepy than Anya's Ghost, but there's definitely sort of we like Hope Larson. spookiness and intrigue, sort of a girl trying to reclaim her family fortunes by finding mm. a cache of buried family treasure mm. um, to sort of greater or lesser uh, gain, which I say because I can't remember how it ends. Oh, um, very pretty though. Spooky rather than spooky, arguably uh, Will o' the Wisp. Okay. Little girl, Southern Gothic, goes to a graveyard, basically a necropolis island in the bayou. Picks up a bunch of... Fucking hell, Southern Gothic. You'd love it. Um, it's about a murderous asshole who is um, stalking an, a necropolis island with weird hoodoo customs. Hmm. Necropolis Island also reminds me of the... Um, is it World's End? Yes. Bit with the necropolis? Yeah. That's a good example of what could be perceived as spooky or scary played totally straight. Mm. Which, if you like things being flipped around, you might enjoy. Stuff that's probably not scary anymore because it's too old and all of its tropes have been subsumed by... Spoopy. Spoopy. As we, because we're fucking bought into this theory at this I, point. I'm totally bought into this theory. Um, but well, things you like spooped me up. Creepy Tales from Sorry. the Crypt. Um, Dark Horse has big big collections of those and if you like the sort of 1950s gore above all else it's very slim storytelling those are great good old Billy Gaines and his amphetamine popping ways uh, Zombo is quite unsettling it is in a lot of ways I'm not sure it I'd is. necessarily call it spooky or I mean, horror but no given that it's about sort of 
corpses designed for war. It's it's quite slapstick. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what's that thing that Clary keeps telling us to read and we never read? Cradlegrave? Yes. Cradlegrave. It says that on the show notes. Someone we like a lot says you should read Cradlegrave, and you probably should because she's better than us. None of us have, though, because we're bad people. Yeah. But she's better than us, so you should probably read it. She's too busy talking about folk music to... um to talk about this stuff. But Podcast rivalry, it. shots being fired. Yeah, pew, that's pew, right across pew. the bow. So I read the um, the Korean comic that's meant to be, in scare quotes, the scariest webcomic of all time. Bong Shon Dong Ghost. Yes. It, it just wasn't that scary. Nothing with Dong in it is going to be that scary unless it's a really horrible Dong. I've had some bad dates. Like in the Indiana Jones sense, did it kill a monkey? <laughs> Hush now. No, so I tried reading that on my really slow surface. Mm-hmm. And because it depends on some... Let's not spoil it for people. Because it depends on some web stuff. This, oh, I the, had none of the web stuff because I have autoplay turned off for everything. So it's possible that I missed the actually scary bit. It's a long and studied career, but anything by Richard Corbin is worth reading. He sort of... He did a lot of stuff for the horror comics in the 60s and 70s. He's probably best known for working on Hellboy at the moment. Um, Any highlights from his horror back catalogue? Just read everything. Okay. Just just read everything. He's got a new one out actually. Just um, just come out last week, I believe, because the man's an unstoppable working machine. How old is he? I think he's seventy-five. Good God! But, um, That's practically a ghost. And ghosts are scary. Yeah, he's been working. He's been We're working getting for a long time. Here, aren't we? Um, we're just talking about comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, his new one is called Rat God. That sounds good. It's just been collected. If you um, like rats. Yeah. Or gods. He's very good at drawing really disturbing things that just look slightly wet and unpleasant. So that's the cover. What would be uh, what would be your big picks, Mr. Conway? <sighs> They're all of boobs, JPEG, safe to his laptop. Living Cambridge, the broadband's fast enough, I don't need to download shit. It's the joy of living in this area. Um, my big pick, I've got to pick one thing. One thing that... Well, you don't have to, we all kind of whiffled on. No, I, I, I forced... Well, I feel, I feel like we're going to do a roundup. I forced this structure upon you. Yeah, a structural roundup. So, I would say... Emily Carroll, in Before Boys. Fuck you! Fuck that guy! Dave, not Emily Carroll. I like Emily Carroll. Is that all you got? Any in particular? His face already is probably the best. It's the... It's the sort of... It's the one that sort of he's closest to having a logical plot, but it's still sort of fully in the realm of the uncanny. Mm -hmm. Um, And it does some great stuff with digital. Well, I'm going to say in that case, The Hole the Fox did make, also by Emily Carroll, but I thought... um, I liked the imagery slightly more. I liked that it skipped between a real world and a fantasy world and it had a bit of sort of grim suburban single mother life interspersed with this wild fantasy stuff that ultimately just doesn't end well for anyone. No one said we had to pick different ones, by the way. We can all pick Well, I did genuinely like it slightly better than his face all red, although I did enjoy his face all red. His face, it was all red. It was. Uh, I haven't had a chance to read it, but she's got a new one out, which is illustrated by her, not written by her, called oh, Bobby yes. Yaga's Assistant. Um, yes. And if you like, it's about a young girl who becomes an assistant to the Russian 
witch goddess Baba Yaga. Mm. If you like Russian folk stories, and I do, because they're weird as shit. Lays an egg. Yeah, just uh, get on that. Get on that. Mr. Hart? It's a really tough call. Um, in the interest of novelty, let's say witches, because we've talked about Uzumaki um, at length before. Uzumaki will creep you the fuck out, though. But witches, it's this year. It's beautiful. It looks absolutely gorgeous. It's deeply creepy. Bits of it are kind of funny in that slightly buffyish way. It's it's got a lot to offer. Good and cool. a proper so, like synthetic folk horror thing going on. The something in the woods, the old gods, the things not quite knowable. With a... it's the system of rules. Proper creepy folk horror. There's got to be a system of rules that everyone gets in too deep with. Mm. It's it, it does That's that. That's how your really, house ends up covered in skin. Yeah, it does that really too, really very well. Cool. I, I think I, I want to throw in another plug for Wet Moon because it is kind of creepy in a, is, a very creepy way, and also it's really fucking good and cheap and go and buy it and read it all in two days like I did, and then you'll feel the way I do. I don't include that last part because who would want that? It's not, it's not a recommendation. I think we're pretty broadly unanimous that you should get the fuck out there and read Wet Moon. You should. I'm going to write it up on the site pretty soon, so if you're still not convinced, wait until you've read my amazing review. All kinds of blazing. Mm-hmm. For Wet Moon. Well, let's, let's go and spookily fuck off somewhere else. Eat pizza. Yeah. Can we make some spooky noises? Yeah. It's much easier to do that when you're not eating pizza, just FYI. I've tried it. Disastrous. That's more of a horse, Spooky it? horse. Ghost spooky horse. Spooky Well then, we've... Have we had a sufficiently spooky time? I, I feel chilled to the bone. Oh, you look terrified. I'm a little unsettled. That's because you've had half a bottle of wine. Also, I had some curry last night and now I've got hashtag bum trouble. No, not the hashtags. The galloping hash So my intestines are definitely spooked. And the noises are quite scary. And you, Mr. Conroy, look like you've been up all night to get spooky. No, I went to bed at about 10 o'clock. I've not been well. You've also got the hashtags, haven't you? I had. Formally. Everything's back on track now. It's like clock yeah. Back on track. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Presumably that's what you hashtag with when you're better. And with that admittedly clever pun about my lower intestine, we'll leave you. Good night. <laughs> Fairly well. <laughs> Stop that. Nay! <laughs> <laughs>